welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Misham Nation, to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 17. It's great to be here with you. Today, we are speaking to Patricia Taylor as she discusses the topic of mentorship. Before we talk to Patty, we have the segment, What's On My Mind, followed by Mailbox Mania. It's a great show as always, so let's not waste any more time and let's get into What's On My Mind. This week in What's On My Mind, I'm going to talk about some more COVID-19. Yay! So, if you're like me, you're kind of over the coronavirus by now. It's everywhere. It's even dominated the news for the past four months. Which, on the other hand, might be better than the politics we would normally get during an election year. I'll let you decide. Well, I've got what I call tired head. It feels like my brain just can't take anymore. If you feel this way, I'm sorry, but because we're starting a new phase in the corona of reopening elective surgeries, I wanted to make sure that you have all the information available to be successful. On the Isham webpage, there's kind of this one-stop shop for COVID information. If you haven't checked it out already, it's at isham.org. That's I-A-H csmm.org. Now on the homepage, there's this box at the top of the screen and it says supporting sterile processing professionals during COVID-19. And under that, you're going to find two bullet points and both of those are hyperlinks. And it says one, the first one, click here to see how COVID-19 has impacted Isham's operation. Now this link is going to give you information about the office and certificates, renewals, and testing, and other things like that. I wanted to focus on the second hyperlink that's titled, Click Here for Updated Resources on COVID-19. Now, from this page, there are several links and descriptions that guide you to different resources. So the first uh, resource is the uh, ECRI resource page. From here, there are resources like webinars, uh, One Resilience and the Workforce, Keys to Survival. They just completed the Return to Work webcast recording geared specifically towards sterile processing professionals. Now that's located in the COVID-19 lab webcast series. And they also have industry updates from CMS, CDC, and the FDA uh, with associated links. Next on the Ishim page, you're going to find uh, the OneSource document site. Once you're on the OneSource site, they have created a COVID-19 database. Now OneSource is normally a pay-for-use site, but they have created this document database that is free. All you have to do is register for access. So along with the database, they've also provided links for other information such as 3M, the Joint Commission, Infection Control Today, the World Health Organization, and many other links. 
So good information, and again, you can access these documents for free on the OneSource site. Next, there's information on what the Joint Commission says about the mask issue. You know, we all wanna know uh, when and how we're gonna be surveyed, so keep up to date with their information. And then there's a recorded session from the Amy and Isham Town Hall addressing the question, how do I handle items contaminated with COVID-19? So to listen, there's a handy button that says listen here that's going to go ahead and start your player. So all you have to do is sit back, enjoy, maybe grab a Pepsi and some popcorn, and listen in. And then next you're going to find links to both OSHA and the CDC's cleaning guidance information. And then from there, uh, there are several links from the FDA on N95 respirator mask, that guidance, including the EUA, the Emergency Use Authorization. This is available in case you need a copy for information to use or simply just for your records. Now, following the FDA, there's also more guidance from the CDC, including a document called Recommended Guidance for Extended Use and limited reuse of N95 filter facepiece respirators in the healthcare setting. Well, that is certainly an exhaustive title, isn't it? Then following that CDC guidance, there's other links. Next, there's a recording available. And again, this is from Amy and it's titled Mass Decontamination and Reuse. Now this webinar is a partnership uh, with Amy, AORN, and Isham Again, available on demand when you're just sitting around waiting for something to do. And then following that, there's also links uh, specifically to AORN and their information that they put out, and then Amy and their resources pages that are also available. And then last, we kind of get to the end of the page and we start seeing some specific questions being answered with direct sources for answers, meaning uh, links to find the answers directly uh, from those direct sources. For example, which disinfectants kill COVID-19 virus? Well, here you're going to find several links uh, to answer that from the EPA and the CDC to help guide you. Some other questions, uh, some medical waste or general waste from healthcare facilities, treating patients under investigation, and patients with confirmed COVID-19, uh, can they be handled differently or is there any uh, additional disinfection that needs to be done? So again, this question is going to be answered with some links. And then next, how long does COVID-19 survive in the air and on surfaces? Uh, next question, this is uh, unlike any other situation I've ever seen. Can you offer any tips for handling stress? Great, and then it's gonna it's gonna have again those links, those hyperlinks, uh, to help answer those questions. And then last question: What is the difference between quarantine, isolation, and social distancing? So again, all those questions have resource links attached to them to help you find the answer from the actual source of truth. All of this information can be found on the Isham homepage. So it's great information as you restart the elective cases and really begin to work through uh, COVID-19 issues. So Isha Nation, be informed, stay safe, and that's gonna do it for what's on my mind.
Today in Mailbox Media, we're taking a look at several of the AORN journals. The first set of articles comes from the May 2020 journal. The abstract, cleaning cannulated medical devices can be challenging for perioperative and sterile processing department personnel. We performed a laboratory experimental study to evaluate differences in cleaning effectiveness using either a back and forth or helical spinning brush motion and the effect of rinsing the bristles at each reintroduction of the brush in the lumen. Now they also tested the lumen cleanliness after high pressure water cleansing without brushing. They inspected the device to determine whether visible soil remained, and they measured the amount of residual organic matter using ATP testing to determine cleaning method effectiveness. The results showed that rinsing the brush during cleaning decreased the amount of organic material that remained in the lumen, followed by a helical spinning motion with brush rinsing at each reintroduction of the brush may be more effective than back and forth brushing with rinsing, but additional testing with a larger sample size is required to determine whether the results are repeatable. Now the key takeaways for this article, when performing manual cleaning of cannulated medical devices, perioperative and sterile processing department personnel may find the removal of organic and inorganic debris difficult. This study uses ATP, that adenosine triphosphate testing, and visual inspection to determine the efficacy of different brushing techniques, meaning the back and forth motion and the helical spinning motion for cleaning lumens. The study also examined the effect of brush rinsing on cannulated medical devices. Results of the study indicated that brush rinsing during brushing increases the cleaning effectiveness of both the back and forth and the helical spinning motions. When manual brushing is used to clean medical devices, perioperative and sterile processing department leaders and staff members should use the appropriate brush size for the medical device and replace worn and non-functioning brushes. In addition, they should rinse the brush during the cleaning process. Now they found that brushing alone reduced ATP by approximately 10% compared to not brushing at all. But the brushing and rinsing reduced ATP by approximately 75% compared with their positive control. Now the next article is using ultraviolet light technology to enhance cleaning in the healthcare setting. So disinfection using UVC has shown promise for deactivating certain resistant pathogens, speeding cleaning times, and helping to optimize cleaning practices. In efforts to prevent healthcare-associated infections and the spread of multi-drug-resistant organisms, hospitals and perioperative leaders must begin UVC germicidal disinfection as an adjunct to existing cleaning protocols. Disinfection of devices generally use one of three types of the UVC lights. Pulsed Xeon, 
light emitting diode, LED, or mercury. And the article goes on and describes each of these three in detail. So this is a very interesting article that I think really could have applications in the sterile processing department. And a good example of that is in the clinical issues column in the AORN journal, because it goes on to ask this question about UV technology. And the title is disinfecting case cards using ultraviolet light systems. So the question in the clinical issues, researching a more efficient way to clean and disinfect our enclosed case carts without an automated cart washer system. Does AORN recommend ultraviolet UV light systems to disinfect carts after cleaning them? If so, how should we implement this technology? So an application that you can actually use in sterile processing with case carts. And I think you could also probably use like UV light uh, systems, maybe in disinfecting or cleaning uh, your decontam areas or even sterile processing. So um, really to find out the answer to this question about case carts, uh, pick up a copy or subscribe to the AORN journal or make friends with your OR nurse because I, I think there could be some applications uh, for using ultraviolet light in sterile processing. Now the next article we're going to talk about deals with decreasing reprocessing costs by reducing the number of instruments and sets. So this was a project that uh, uh, some nurses did at a facility and it basically asked some questions. For instance, what was the catalyst for this project? Well, they noticed that the only surgeon who consistently used the adenoid curettes in the highly used TNA instrument set, that's tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy instrument set, had stopped using them. And now that surgeon preferred using an electrocautery uh, option. And they wanted to confirm which instruments were going to be unused in the set and really to avoid that continually uh, unnecessary reprocessing of instruments. And so it answered that question and it also goes on to answer a few more questions uh, that might relate uh, or you might relate to in sterile processing. For example, how did you achieve buy-in from the perioperative team? What challenges have you experienced? What results have you seen with this study? And it says that uh, they ended up removing seven curettes from the set and then ultimately reducing the number of instruments in the tray by 25%. Good information in this article. It also talks about the lessons uh, that they learned and their future plans. So if that interests you, or if you're going through the process of reducing your instruments down, those unused instruments that you don't use, uh, you might want to check out this article and see what they did and see if uh, what they, some of the information that they have applies to you. Now let's jump back to the April 2020 Aaron Journal. We're going to look at another question. And this question deals with location parameters for automated endoscope reprocessors. If you're uh, in that process of sensorizing the uh, endoscope processing, or if you are now responsible in some way for endoscope reprocessing, this is a good question. The question states, we currently process flexible endoscopes using automated endoscope reprocessors, the AERs, located in the endoscopy suite. However, we are building a new 
Central Service Processing Department and moving our endoscope reprocessing there. Where should we locate the AERs in our new sterile processing department? Well, that's a great question. And what I like about this article, or this clinical issue, if you will, in the April journal, is that the article goes into several scenarios depending on your process and then your type of AER. So depending on your cleaning process and then depending on what type of AER you have. For example, if you have one of those pass-through AERs that goes from dirty to clean, you know, the article addresses uh, a lot of those different scenarios. So again, uh, a great article or a clinical issue, if you will. Again, I suggest you pick up that journal that's in the April journal or, you know, again, find an, an operating room friend that you can borrow one of their journals. And then the last article, uh, we're going to jump forward uh, to current month, which is the June 2020 ARN Journal. And this one talks about emotional intelligence. So it reads, emotional intelligence was first defined as the capacity to reason about emotions and of emotions to enhance thinking. More generally, it is described as the ability to manage one's emotions and the emotions of others. In the perioperative setting, emotional intelligence is not just about acknowledging and expressing one's own emotions in a way that promotes respectful teamwork. It also requires perceiving and regulating the emotions and responses of other team members to accomplish a common goal. Now, the emotional intelligence of individual perioperative team members, which includes sterile processing, can affect the overall team and the team performance, teamwork, and subsequently patient safety. Alright, so some tips for improving your emotional intelligence. Journaling and self-reflection after stressful situations or negative reactions to events can assist you with realizing when certain people, situations, or external factors, meaning lack of sleep or diet, predispose you to low emotional intelligence. Another key point Mindful techniques, uh, mantra, breathing exercises, deliberate breaks, gratitude notes can help you improve your emotional intelligence by keeping you focused on the present, helping you to manage negative emotions, and bringing back positive thinking that can assist with resilience to adversity. Next key takeaway, because mindfulness is a practice of self-empathy and awareness, it can help you increase your empathy for others, including identifying the wants, needs, and viewpoints of your teammates. And then it says to improve your communication skills, you can start by identifying opportunities to reduce the potential for miscommunication. Now, I think, I think the emotional intelligence, I think this is a good article and something you might want to think about, especially as we start reintroducing back into elective surgery and elective cases. You know, we, we've been gone for a while. We've all been a little bit stressed, a little bit different situation, a little bit, uh, you know, some folks have been furloughed. Some folks have even um, been laid off and now can starting new jobs. You're right. So, so think about your emotional intelligence and how you can really apply that to your new job as we're all going through this new COVID situation. So again, I think this is a good article and just something that we need to think about when we're taking care of ourselves. And so with that, that's going to do it for this segment 
of Mailbox Mania. Today our guest speaker is Patricia Taylor. Now Patty has almost 30 years of experience in the healthcare field, including sterile processing departments, surgery centers, dental offices, and reprocessing manufacturers. Patty started her career in housekeeping and was assigned to clean and sterile processing area and was fascinated to see all the different instruments used in surgery. Sterile processing has been a passion ever since. Patty is currently working as a clinical supervisor at Major Hospital. She is also the Central Indiana Chapter Secretary Treasurer and is now serving a two-year term on the Isham Board of Directors. Well, thank you, Patty, for joining us on this Process This podcast. Uh, Let's go ahead and get started with our first question. Let's start with the basics. What is the difference between mentoring and training? Well, I can train someone to do a task, but they may not necessarily be good at it. Mentoring someone is sharing with them your experience to help them be the best at the task. A mentor is someone who shares experience and encourages so that others can be the best at what they can be. What role does mentoring play in today's sterile processing department? Well, in my area, we have a shortage of CS techs coming into the profession. And if more people had a passion for this industry, others would see what a great profession it is. With the technology in today's CS, it takes people willing to share their knowledge. That's the funny thing about being a mentor is it works both ways with the young and with the old. The younger generation have better computer skills, and it just seems like we see a lot of sharing with the older people learning from the younger people on the computer skills, and then vice versa, the older uh, co-workers sharing their years of experience and encouragement with the younger generation. Can you tell us what kind of support can a mentor provide? Um, Helping others to be future leaders is a huge challenge for some, but if you can share your best practice, encourage learning, and help others to understand why they do what they do and why it's important taking training to a mentoring level. Okay. So why do you think it's important for someone to actively seek out a mentor? Well, no one should feel like they're having to reinvent the wheel. Asking for help, seeking someone who's willing to share their knowledge, asking your supervisor if someone would be willing to mentor, and also helping with your career path. It's important to find people out there that are experienced in the same job and experience that you're doing. And some people, they just don't like to share with others for their fear for they'll lose their job. But a lot of times that doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just more of somebody wanting to be the best at what they want to do. Sure. In your experience, do you think mentorship helps with department retention? Oh, yes, very much so. If people feel like what they do matters and they feel appreciated for their job, they're more likely to be happy at work. If you're helping your coworkers be the best they can be with encouragement and knowledge, they get along better and other co- coworkers get along better with their managers. 
I believe getting along with your coworkers and managers is 90% of the reason why people leave to work somewhere else. Yeah, it sounds like mentorship really uh, promotes a collaborative relationship within the department. So that's great. Many people think that mentors must have many years of experience or other qualifications to really mentor somebody. What are some skills or traits that you can talk about that really make a good mentor? Well, if you've ever had anyone tell you don't give up or practice makes you better and you have walked away with an attitude that you can do it, then you know what it feels like to be mentored. Why not pass that along to others in the same way? Be a role model so others will be willing to help others too. Yeah, makes perfect sense. It's easy to see the benefits of having a mentor, but what's in it for the mentor? What does he or she really gain from that mentoring experience? If you've ever worked in a job, you always had to pick up the slack because coworkers didn't care or aren't good at what they do, then you understand how important it is to have a mentor. If employees feel like what they do matters and are well-trained, they're more likely to be more productive. You're more likely to have staff that get along and work together well and have positive attitudes. And who doesn't want that at work? From your experience, how long does mentoring last? Well, it can last your whole life. Um, I'm always learning new things from people I admire. I wasn't very good at having those tough conversations with people, but I watched my boss, and she was very good at handling issues with such grace. So I asked if she would help me get better at having those conversations, and we sat together through some issues, and she helped critique my performance until I had a better confidence, and, and she encouraged me, needed to feel comfortable on my own talking with people. I think that's what's important about mentoring. So it is evident that you have a lot of passion about mentoring. Uh, Have you had mentors in your life? Uh, And if so, would you share a little bit about the role that the mentor played in your personal experience? I've had many mentors. My father was a great mentor. He was a positive person, always encouraging me and taught me anything you set your mind to, you can do. I've been fortunate to work with some great people who have helped me with my career along the way. I'm very grateful to have people like that in my life, and I just want to give that back. Yeah, that's great. It it sounds like, you know, really you can get a mentor from any stage of your life. It just doesn't have to be at work. And, you know, it's, it's really what you put into it is what you get out of it. So did that experience lead you to become a mentor yourself? Yeah, I... I see my job not as just a supervisor that looks at today's tasks, but also a role model and mentor to create tomorrow's leaders. I enjoy training and helping my staff the best they can be. I try to teach them everything I know so that they have the skills and confidence to get out there and become supervisors themselves and maybe mentor others in the same. If I can do it, others can do it. Not everyone is cut out to be a supervisor, but I believe everybody wants to do their very best job. How do you feel about assigned mentors as a part of the training process? If you have somebody willing to share with others how to do their best, and you have other people who are struggling 
to do different jobs. It, that's what makes it perfect. Um, I have assigned coworkers to help with quizzing staff so that they can pass their certification tests. Um, mentors provide the knowledge encouragement to help staff with their critical thinking skills. Being confident helps with retention of what they learn and helps them with a better ability to prioritize. So I think that mentoring is a great part of training process. What advice would you give to someone who is considering becoming a mentor? Be passionate about your career. Be positive. Don't always focus on how someone does it wrong, but encourage them that they will get it. Understand that not everyone works the same. Even when some perfect a task, they may not do it as fast as everyone else, but not everyone has the same way of learning either. Some may like hands-on approach. Others like to read up on all the mechanics before they try it themselves. I find most are the see one, do one, teach one type. Oh, okay. Yeah. So last question. Is there specific training for mentors, um, or where can our listeners uh, learn more about the mentoring process? Just sharing and caring goes a long way. And not being afraid to teach others what you know for fear for your job. But realize having someone willing to mentor and help staff be their best is a person worth keeping on the team, that's for sure. I think there's a lot of things out there as far as I know Isham offers other podcasts to help others out. And I think that's just a wonderful way to be able to learn and experience more about your job. Well, great. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today, Uh, Patty. We really appreciate your experience in this topic. Thank you again, Patty, for speaking with us today. Isham Nation, the virtual conference is in full swing, but it's not too late to join in the festivities. If you haven't already, go to the isham.org homepage and register today. Don't miss out on the education sessions, live events, vendor demos, and tons of CEs. The virtual conference is open until July 20th and is free to members and certificate holders. Well, episode 17 is in the books. Thank you for listening. Don't forget your CE. To receive the CE for this episode, simply click on the episode notes, fill out the required information, and select the code INTEGRITY. The code for this episode is INTEGRITY. Remember, keep an ear out for the next episode, always on the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode's on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time.